0: this time he left a note that said he was sorry hello and welcome to the end of day's drive-in where we bring you a little popcorn for the apocalypse today's episode is a very special season finale double feature our first story is about an old preacher who's just trying to bring a little excitement back to his church services so come on down and feel the fire of the Holy Spirit, or some kind of spirit, in Snake Handler. Enjoy. Do you want to be cast out in blazing hellfire for all eternity? The old preacher said. A burning lake of fire is just a waiting to snatch you up and hold you in its brimstone fingers if you don't repent from your sins and turn your face upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Half-hearted amens and a couple of weak hallelujahs answered back from the congregation under the tent. The sun had gone down, but the humidity retained the heat of the day underneath the Lord's big top. The faithful in attendance fanned themselves and blotted at their brows with handkerchiefs. Brother Jacobs knew the heat was the reason for the muted response, but he'd still have to hear it from the old reverend after everyone went home. Now I'm gonna ask Miss Dottie to play us a hymn, the preacher said. Miss Dottie, how about a little Just As I Am, would you? Now, while she plays, I'm gonna ask it all who feel it on their heart. Come down here to the altar. Anybody who needs to be saved or feels led to rededicate their lives tonight, all come, all are welcome. Mrs. Dottie played through one verse and the Reverend motioned for her to go ahead and play through one more. One person came up to the front and knelt at the altar, but other than that, everyone was ready to go home to their air conditioning. All right, brothers and sisters, This concludes tonight's revival service. I hope to see you all tomorrow night, the reverend said. The congregation filed out of the tent and headed for their cars in the church's gravel parking lot. Reverend Thomas walked off the makeshift stage and wiped sweat off his face with a towel he kept behind the pulpit. He made his way over to Brother Jacobs at the sound booth. Brother Jacobs knew what was coming. The old pastor was just waiting on the last of his flock to be out of earshot what was that he asked um a revival jacob said that was not a revival boy that was embarrassing what did our live stream numbers look like about the same as on a regular sunday Jacob said. Embarrassing, Tom said. Plum embarrassing. I tell you what, old timers like me are the only ones that seem to give a good goddamn about our Lord and Savior these days. You young people wouldn't know the Holy Spirit's presence if it shoved itself up your ass and played patty cake with your liver. Reverend, it's just the first night. You've got to give people a chance to come around, Jacob said. Plus, there's the radio station to think about. They broadcast the live stream... That's gotta count for something. If it ain't in the collection plate, son, I can't count it, he said. I hire you to get my message out, and so far I'm not finding much return on my investment. The Reverend turned and picked at the dust and dirt outside the tent as he walked back to the church. He snatched the collection plates off the stage on his way. Inside the little church, Reverend Thomas plopped down in the squeaky chair in his office. He sighed and brushed his wispy hair back on his head. He dumped the money out of the wicker plates. It was so little he didn't even need to count it. He brushed it into a drawer on his desk and slammed it shut. He needed a walk. Reverend Thomas took off along the banks of the narrow creek that ran near his little Baptist church. He always regretted that creek was never deep enough to baptize someone. That would make for a hell of a photo op. They could just march right on down from the revival tent Wade straight into the water. Everyone singing victory in Jesus or something. Too bad the only time the creek was ever high enough to baptize a person was during the big flood. Of course, if he tried it then, he would have baptized himself and someone else to death. The little creek was angry that day. It washed half a barn away downstream. He stopped at the edge of the creek and looked up at the moon. He wiped sweat away from his brow and wondered how it could still be so hot. He decided to kick off his shoes and sit down on the bank. He stuck his bare feet into the cool water and splashed it a bit. He picked up a stone and tried to skip it across the surface. but failed. Son of a bitchin' rock, he said. He picked up another rock and tried it again with similar results. Look at me, Reverend Bill Thomas, miracle maker. I can sink anything I touch. He reached into the creek for another rock and a water moccasin' swam up to his hand. He yanked his arm out of the water and fell backwards onto the bank. The snake crawled up his foot and bit his leg. The preacher cried out in pain and pulled the snake off of himself. He threw the thing into the water and laid on his back, clutching his calf. Another snake slithered out of the water and bit the preacher's other foot. He howled and kicked at the reptile. He struggled to get to his feet, but his right leg had gone numb and wouldn't support it. He pulled himself along the grass on his belly and saw two more snakes come from the trees beside the bank. He grabbed a rock and smashed the head of one of the snakes, but the other one bit his arm. It held on like a bulldog, and he could feel its venom pumping into his body. He yanked it off and smashed it with a rock. He whipped its corpse into the creek, but when he did, he saw a giant writhing mass of snakes dragging themselves onto the bank. They rolled and tumbled over themselves in an effort to get to him. He tried to back away, but his arm and leg were failing. He tried to scream, but all that came out was a groan because his throat was swelling shut. The snakes coiled over and rolled onto him. They wrapped themselves around his legs and then his arms. Their needle teeth pierced his skin and injected him with their poison. He clawed at the grass with the one hand that still worked until it too gave out and went limp. Brother Jacobs loaded up the sound equipment by himself. As he lugged the speakers, he cursed the deacons for appointing him as the one to be in charge of all this. All because he was the resident young person. Oh, I'd just break something if I touched it, Brother Williams had said. The others laughed and agreed. As he pulled the power amp and the mixer, he cursed Reverend Thomas for his insistence on a tent for the revival when there was never more in attendance than would fit inside the sanctuary. Finally, dragging speaker cables and mics, he even cursed God for making it so damned hot. He'd already sweated through his shirt during the service, but now he'd sweated through the sweat. When he'd finished lugging and cursing, he sat down in the pews to catch his breath and soak up some of the air conditioning. He let his head lay against the backrest and stared at the ceiling. He heard the door to the sanctuary swing open and then slam shut. He stood up to leave because he didn't want to hear any more of Reverend Thomas's shit. He turned around to see Reverend Thomas standing in the threshold of the sanctuary. He wavered on his feet and Jacobs could hear him wheezing. The left side of his face was swollen and purple. It had swollen to the point that the features sagged with the weight of the inflammation. His neck and one of his arms bulged with black and purple knots. Little ribbons of blood cut paths across these dark bruises. Oh God, Reverend Thomas, Jacob said and ran to the old preacher. He went to put an arm around the man to help him into the pew so he could sit down. He got a shoulder around the old man and the preacher's swollen hand shot up and attached itself to Jacob's throat. The other arm held him in place. Jacob struggled against his grip, but the preacher was strong. The hand on Jacobs' throat squeezed and Jacobs could feel his larynx crush under the force. His eyes bulged and Reverend Thomas ripped the young man's throat clean out of his neck. The Reverend let go of Brother Jacobs as the young man clutched at the bloody hole beneath his chin. He stumbled a few steps sideways. He looked down in his last moments of consciousness and watched his blood pour out onto the floor. He made a gurgling sound and fell face first into the crimson puddle an even smaller number of the congregation arrived at the church for the second night of the annual tent revival they all took their seats under the tent and waited for their reverend thomas to begin but seven o'clock came and went and no one had seen the preacher yet the crowd talked amongst themselves until deacon wood decided to check the church and make sure something hadn't happened to the old preacher While the deacon was gone, Reverend Thomas walked up from the creek and shouted to his congregation to follow him to the water. They all looked at one another for a moment before they decided to go ahead and follow the preacher to the banks of the creek. Once they made it to the edge of the water, the preacher waded in, shoes and all. The church members looked at each other, confused, but figured he was trying to make a point. The preacher leaned down and reached into the creek. He plucked a snake out of the water. It coiled around his arm, but didn't bite him. The small crowd gasped. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, Reverend Thomas said, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Reverend Thomas brought the snake to his face and the thing bit him on the cheek, but he didn't react. It bit him again and caught his eyelid with its teeth, but he still did not move The congregation exclaimed in unison. Some of them began to cry. They backed away from the creek. Have faith, brothers and sisters, the reverend said, for the Lord your God will protect you. Nothing shall hurt you. Deacon Williams kicked off his shoes and socks and waded into the water. Reverend Thomas reached out towards the man and beckoned him come forward. He did, and the reverend handed the deacon his snake. The snake slithered up the deacon's arm and wrapped itself around the man's throat deacon williams closed his eyes and waited for it to squeeze but it never did it just rested itself on his shoulders the thing's head brushed against the man's cheek and flicked out a tongue against his skin he opened his eyes and saw deacon wood running over the top of the hill that led down to the creek or trying to run anyway given the man's age he yelled and waved his hands but Deacon Williams couldn't make out what he was saying. The rest of the congregation heard it too and turned to look at the old man hobbling down the hill. He finally got close enough for someone to make out what he said. Jacob's is dead, he said. As the words drifted down the hill to Deacon Williams' ear, the snake finally tightened its grip on his neck and the ground beneath his feet started to move. He stumbled backwards and grabbed at the serpent, but it bit his face, hands, and neck. Between the attacks, Deacon Williams could see that the ground was not, in fact, moving. He'd been standing on layers and layers of snakes, and they were all moving out of the water now. They spilled out of the creek and into the small crowd of churchgoers on the banks. The things whipped and coiled at the feet of the congregation. By the time the first ones realized what was happening, it was too late. The snakes were already overtaking them. They wrapped themselves around legs and lapped on with their teeth. They pumped venom into each parishioner. Those that fell were overtaken, and their bodies covered completely with the legless reptile. Screams traveled and echoed through the small hollow. Deacon Wood slowed his pace once people started screaming and tried to stop, but the hill was too steep, and he fell. He saw the black mass writhe up out of the creek and take his fellow church members, all the while behind them in the creek. Reverend Thomas stood with his arms outstretched and face turned up towards the sky. Deacon Wood tried to get up, but his hip wouldn't let him. He crawled his way back up the hill. He reached the top and could see his car in the gravel parking lot. Once he was on level ground, he tried to get up again, but he felt a sharp pain in his left calf. This was a new pain. It was one his old body wasn't already familiar with. He looked behind him to see that a snake had attached itself to his leg he pulled it off and saw that five more had made it up the hill after him the pain spread like fire in a dry patch of grass he stopped struggling he sat and listened to the screams of his brothers and sisters in christ as the snakes slithered their way up his body and filled his own veins with Reverend Thomas waded through the remains of his church members and made his way back up the hill. He stepped over the dying Deacon Wood and made his way to the gravel parking lot. He opened the door to his truck and tossed his Bible inside on the seat. He got behind the steering wheel and cranked the old V8. It rumbled to life. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, he said. He put the truck in gear and spun rocks out from under the tires as he drove out of the parking All right, time to head on over to the concession stand for tonight's special. Two for one, severely GMO, popcorn. Eat it before it eats you. But seriously, any patrons eaten by the popcorn are welcome to fill out a comment card and drop it in the suggestion box on the way out. Speaking of, that brings us to our next story. Doug Whiffle Files a Complaint. Enjoy. Doug Wiffle placed his coin in the turnstile of the toy machine. He twisted the knob on a contraption that read, Caution, Cursed Object with a picture of a skull and crossbones on the cardboard signage inside the glass tank. Spider rings and spooky finger puppets were zip-tied to the recycled paper. The machine sent a plastic ball down through its inner workings to plink against the metal door where the prize finally came to rest. Doug opened the metal flap and let the plastic ball fall into his hand. He popped it open to find a small gold trinket on a chain. He held it up in the light of the grocery store and saw that it was a tooth. It was a little golden incisor. Neat, he said, and stuffed the thing into his pocket. Doug walked out of the store and through the parking lot to the bus stop. He sat on the bench underneath the shelter next to a man who was apparently passed out. The man started awake a moment after Doug sat down. He blinked hard and looked around. His eyes landed on Doug. Can you hear it? he asked. I'm sorry, Doug said. Shhh, do you hear it? Do You mean the bus? Doug said. No, I don't hear the bus. No, man, not the bus, he said. That sound, the waves, sounds like water. The man stood up and stepped out from under the bus stop shelter. He walked to the edge of the sidewalk, looked both ways, and immediately stepped out in front of a car. His feet flew into the air and his shoes took off skyward. Doug watched as the man's body cartwheeled out into the street and the car skidded to a halt. He got up from his spot on the bench and ran to the injured man. The driver of the car, now outside the vehicle, had a hand to her mouth and was frozen beside her open driver door. Doug kneeled down on the asphalt. Hey buddy, don't move, Doug said and tried to figure out how to hold the man in place without injuring him further. It's so loud, the man groaned. Water. So loud. Just hang in there, pal, Doug said and held the man's neck in place. I'll, I'll try and keep it quiet. Just hold still. The man squirmed and Doug finally decided the injured man's shoulders were the right place to hold him still. The man groaned about hearing the water again and pulled one shoulder free of Doug's grip. He grabbed Doug's other arm and pushed it away. The man sat up and pushed Doug backwards onto his haunches and stood up. He shuffled across the street on a leg that was obviously broken. He drew gasps from the onlookers who had gathered after the accident. Doug watched the man hobble his way up onto the sidewalk on the other side of the street. A woman tried to stop the man from walking any further but he pushed her away every time she attempted to touch him. He walked into a coffee shop, brushing away anyone who tried to help him. Doug could see through the window, the man walked into the bathroom of the place. It was there he remained until the paramedics arrived and pulled the man from the bathroom. He was dead. Doug heard one of the firefighters say that the man's lungs were full of water. Doug's bus never came to the stop so he decided to walk home. Thunder crashed in the distance and Doug knew what was coming. Within moments, the sky opened up and drenched him in a heavy, cold rain. His shoes squished and flopped and his pants sagged around his waist. A car drove by and splashed even more water onto his already soaking clothes, but then stopped and Doug saw the reverse lights come on. It backed up next to him and the passenger side window rolled down. I'm sorry about that the driver said. I had no idea that puddle was so deep. Are you going far? Not really, Doug said. Just just a few more miles to my apartment. I'm sure that's not far on a nice day, but you can't be walking around in this, he said and motioned to the outdoors. Hop on in and I'll take you the rest of the way. Doug thought for a moment and considered turning the man down, but the chill of the rain ran down his back and he shivered a bit. Sure, he said. Doug got in the car and hugged himself. Sorry about the water on your seats. I'm soaked, thanks for the ride. Oh, that's all right, the man said. There's gonna be a lot more water where we're going. What? The driver put the car in gear and stomped on the gas. The wheels spun on the wet asphalt for a moment, but then it took off into the rain that pelted the windshield. Doug was pressed against the back of his seat and had to hold on to the handle of the door panel. They swerved around cars and dodged oncoming traffic to run a red light. Uh, mister, aren't you going to ask where I live? I know where we're going, he said, and never took his eyes off the road. I'm not sure that you do, because you've missed a couple turns here, and I'm starting to think you're not taking me home at all, Doug said. We both know where you belong, he said. No, no, we don't. You don't, Doug said. Let me out. The driver stared straight ahead and blew through another red light. When he slowed down to take the turn into the town square, Doug unbuckled his seatbelt and opened the door. He launched himself out of the car and rolled across the asphalt before he could allow himself to change his mind. The road scraped and tore at his arms and clothes until he came to a stop. When the world stopped spinning, he looked for the car he'd escaped from and watched it jump the curb and launch itself into the fountain of the square. The driver slung the door open. Airbag dust billowed out, and he dropped himself into the fountain. He didn't come back up. Are you all right? Doug turned around to see an old woman who'd been in the salon on the corner where he jumped out. She still had curlers in her hair, and the rain ran off the salon cape she wore. She took an arm to help him up. Come on inside. I saw what happened. You're lucky to be alive, she said. The woman guided Doug into the salon and out of the rain. Two other elderly women sat with their hair in curlers underneath domed helmets, and a hairdresser walked over to help him sit down in one of the salon chairs. We called 911, so just sit there, and they should be here shortly, the hairdresser said. She pulled the reclining lever, and Doug's chair dropped the back of his neck onto the front of the sink, and his legs kicked out reflexively. The old lady who had helped him out of the street stood and stared at him even after the hairdresser had stepped away to the window to watch the chaos unfold in the square. Doug looked around and saw the other women who'd been sitting underneath the hair dryers were now surrounding him. Hold him down, the first woman said. The other two grabbed his shoulders and he struggled against them, but they had the high ground. The first woman pushed his chin back and his head into the bowl of the sink. She pulled the shower head out and turned it on. She sprayed the water into his mouth as he tried to scream. He closed his mouth and she sprayed the water into his nose. He tried to turn his head away from the sprayer, but the woman's grip on his chin was too strong and he couldn't keep the water out of his nose. He choked and sputtered, but finally worked a shoulder loose from one of the old crone's grip and gave the one closest to him an uppercut for the ages. She stumbled backwards and crashed over another salon chair. Doug wriggled out from under the other two women's grip and elbowed the one who'd been holding his other shoulder. He grabbed the woman who'd been holding the sprayer by the back of the head and smashed her face into the sink. What the fuck are you doing? The hairdresser said. She had turned around at the sound of the first woman tumbling over the salon chair and only saw Doug beating up her clients. She hadn't seen the octogenarian waterboarding team. They tried to drown me in the sink, Doug said. Bullshit, the hairdresser said, and took off after Doug. Doug ran through the back of the shop and found the emergency exit. He burst through the door and back out into the rain. He ran until he couldn't hear the hairdresser screaming at him anymore. He rounded the corner of a building and peeked around to watch for him. He didn't see any sign of the woman, so he slid his back down the wall and sat on the wet sidewalk to catch his breath. It was getting dark now, but at least the rain had begun to let up. Doug heard a car coming down the road and stood up, ready to run in case it was the hairdresser. He saw that it was a cop and breathed a sigh of relief. He stepped into the road and waved the officer down. Oh, Jesus Christ, am I glad to see you. These old ladies, they just tried to drown me in a sink. And before that, this guy picked me up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, sir, the cop said. Someone assaulted you? Yes, yeah, these old ladies. Old ladies? Yeah, and a guy picked me up and crashed into the fountain, Doug said. You were in the fountain car, the officer asked. Yeah, he was. Get in, and we'll head down to the station and take a statement, he said. Doug got into the back of the squad car and shut the door. The officer lit up the roof lights and took off. They drove through town, and when they passed the police station, Doug knew he was in trouble. The cop's radio squawked. Dispatch asked what he was doing running emergency traffic. He turned it off and looked in the mirror at Doug. Where are you taking me? Doug asked. Where you belong, he said. Where is that? We both know where you belong. Doug sank back in the hard plastic seat. He was too tired and sore to fight it anymore. He just watched the scenery as it flew past his window. They were nearing the old dam. He had a feeling he knew what was coming. A new surge of adrenaline took hold of him and he tried the door handles first. They were locked, of course. He pried at the metal screen, dividing the officer and him, but it wouldn't budge. He slid onto his back and started kicking the window. Hey, that's enough of that, shithead, the cop said and drew his pistol. The cop fired twice blindly into the back of his car. Doug curled into a ball, trying to make himself as small as possible. One round busted the plastic seat back and another punched a hole in the back window. The cop fired again, tearing a hole in Doug's pants. He could feel the heat off that one. The squad car swerved, smashed through a guardrail and left the road. Doug found a split second of peace as the car sailed through the air. He felt weightless until the car collided with the surface of the water. He was smashed into the floorboard by the impact and lost consciousness. The car sank into the depths of the reservoir and slowly filled up with water. Doug came to when the water finally reached his face. He turned around in his seat and began to kick at the broken back window it gave way and let the rest of the lake into the car with him he was pushed against the rear driver door by the force of it he opened his eyes in the murky water that had filled the police cruiser to see a man sitting in the seat next to him the man turned and looked at Doug he smiled and Doug could see a single gold tooth glowing in the man's mouth Doug pushed off the metal cage, dividing the front and back of the police cruiser to launch himself out of the rear window. He drifted past the man with the gold tooth and into open water. He finally reached the surface of the lake and swam to the bank. He crawled on his hands and knees out of the water and collapsed onto the mud. He rolled over onto his back and dug in his pocket until he found a little gold trinket he would bought earlier in the night. He held it up by the chain once again, and looked at the golden incisor that hung from it. You've got to be kidding me, he said. Doug stood up and chucked the thing into the lake. He trudged up the bank back towards the road and headed home to write a strongly worded letter. Thank you for joining us at the end of day's drive-in. Today's episode was written by Gary Cole with music by Neil Fulks. This concludes season one of The Drive-In, but if you would like to submit a story for future seasons, email us at endofdaysdrivein at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at endofdaysdrivein. We appreciate you for listening, and we'll see you next time at the end of days.